Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. Adam Luckett coming to you, and I know it's been a while since we've done a fun belt edition, uh, but we're back for the bowl season, and we're going to preview what the fun belt has coming this December. We've got five games where uh, some belt teams will be bowling, and this is just going to be a pod where we preview that and uh, put a little recap on the season. Uh, today, it's going to be his first time ever being on the fun belt edition of the pod is our guy Cyrus Smith, who's our FAU um, main writer, and it does a lot of stuff for the CUSA. Cyrus, welcome in, man. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, we haven't done this since, like, I think the first one, like the first ever one where we talked Conference USA Sunbelt um, realignment. So uh, it's great to be back on the podcast with you, man. I think that's right. It's been a while since that happened. Um, we need to make that more current thing, I feel like. But yeah. maybe we can get some into some stuff <laughs> in the off season. We'll just go ahead and uh, before we get in the bowl games, uh, Cyrus, you you know you come you mainly into the CUSA and kind of looking at the Sun Belt from a different lens, and I guess I am and the people that listen to this pod really do. Just from your vantage point, what did you think of the Sun Belt this year, and were there any uh, big surprises or disappointments um, that caught your eye? I really was surprised with um, Georgia State, actually, this year. I thought that there was definitely a lot of talent on the team to um, go bowling, but I wasn't sure if they would actually get there, and I thought that they would get there, um, you know, with a different route. They, of course, I believe earlier this season, they lost to um, Tennessee Tech, I believe, in the opener to uh, – or Tennessee State. There we go. Tennessee State in the opener. And I immediately thought, man, this is not going to look good for um, Sean Elliott. And then, you know, they improved. The games that they lost, they got destroyed pretty much, um, other than the Idaho game. But they shouldn't have lost Idaho. That was, a you know, a huge upset, um, at least in my book. But, you know, they, they improved, you know. Like Sean Elliott and Trickett down there and, and up there in Atlanta, they've really done a good job. But other than that, surprising, um, you know, Appalachian State, I didn't think that they would uh, win the Sun Belt. Um, I like Troy a lot more, and then, um, of course, Appalachian State missing Troy and um, Arkansas State. They didn't really, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, when next year comes around, we, we can finally avoid the mess of some belt teams, the, the top teams in the conference not playing each other. But I was actually uh, really impressed. You know, it, uh, I still think Conference USA is a better conference, but I don't think the Sun Belt is bad at all. I think their bottom isn't that very good, but... I, a lot of great stories this year. I mean, from New Mexico State getting a bowl bid, Coastal Carolina not faring too bad um, in their debut season. And then, of course, you know, we had the coaching news with um, uh, Louisiana Lafayette and then South Alabama moving on. And it, you know, I think the Sun Belt is definitely positioning itself for um, bigger things ahead. But, uh, you know, the biggest winners 
you know, Troy keeping Neil Brown. Yeah, you talk about Neil Brown. Him, I think the big thing for the Sun Belt moving forward is the coaching star power that they're able that they're going to be able to retain. You've got Satterfield, Neil Brown, and Blake Anderson all coming back next year. And those are all guys that are entering. Neil, it'll be Brown's fourth season next year at Troy, and I believe it'll be Satterfield and Anderson's fifth season at their schools. So those programs, keeping those coaches there, I think is only going to make the league better because now we're seeing the rest of the league trying to catch up uh, to those two, to those three, excuse me. And it's really the coaching search has been kind of weird because none of them really even got any interest, I felt like. I know there was some stuff leaked out that maybe UCF would have been interested in Brown, but that that appeared to be all smoke. And when you if you compare, I know these two leagues get compared to a lot, Sun Belt and CSA. I think Florida Atlantic is probably head and shoulders above any team, but after that, I think you can make an argument that Troy, Arkansas State, or Appalachian State, if they were in the CSA, would be the second best team this year. Agree. I mean, we're going to find that out for sure um, with these bow matchups. I think. The fact that, um, you know, it was odd seeing Neil Brown not even get a lot of run from the Tennessee job, Satterfield not named not um, being brought up for the Tennessee job. Um, you know, perhaps if, you know, Tennessee posts another um, a Power 5 team, got their head coach like Dave Dorn, perhaps we would have heard those names come up for the NC State job. But, you know, it's a huge one for the group of five whenever those guys can keep talented head coaches for multiple years. You know, it only grew, um, commits growth to the program. Yeah, that's for sure. And then at the bottom of the Sun Belt, still a pretty barren. Uh, Everett Withers at Texas State, still four and twenty. He's four and twenty now in two years. Only has one conference win. Has yet to beat a Power Five team at home. Um, Coastal Carolina had their struggles, but they won their last two games, and they were playing a lot of young guys. ULM did some good things, but ended up finishing four and eight. South Alabama, Georgia Southern, both made coaching changes, and then Idaho, of course, is out. So I, I think you can make the case that most programs are improving, and that's and then when you keep the top of the league, if you keep those coaches, that's only going to be good news for this conference moving forward. I think it's a huge, huge boost. You know, we're going to get into it. The fact that um, the Sun Belt was able to send all of their five bowl teams to uh, bowl game or bowl eligible teams to bowl games. You know, that's a huge thing. I know for Conference USA, we had. 10 teams be bowl eligible and have to have nine get in is great. You know, that's money for the conference and that shows um, great growth within the conference, but also spotlight for the, the programs, um, getting their names out there for, the, for those players. And not to mention, you know, it's a huge marketing opportunity for the university. Yeah, it's huge. And then having an extra good on conference game to pick up, a, you know, a, a big win and help you build momentum towards next season. Um and we saw that last year with Appalachian State, uh, Troy, and Arkansas State all picking up big wins in their bowl games, and we'll see if they can do it again. So with that, we'll go ahead and get to it. On this coming Saturday, you'll, we'll have Troy taking on North Texas in the New Orleans Bowl. Um, this will be a recurring theme, but we have a lot of old Sun Belt teams playing some of their former conference mates. Um, that's true in this matchup with North Texas and Troy. Troy leads the all-time series 8-2, to two, and it's a battle of two really up-and-coming coaches from the Air Raid tree in Neil Brown and Seth Trail. I know it was a really good season for North Texas and that they were kind of a surprise in the CSA, weren't they, Cyrus? Yes, they were. Um, I believe they were picked to finish fourth uh, behind Southern Miss, UTSA, and Louisiana Tech, and then um, 
you know, they came out of nowhere to, to win the conference. But before we even dive into the matchup, the fact that the New Orleans Bowl is not in its prime time slot at 8 o'clock is a huge issue. It should never be played at 1 o'clock. I know a few fans prefer the game at 1, so then they can party after if their team wins or not. But that's just such a such a quick turnaround. People are going to be drinking, having fun before that game, and then they have to wake up early in the morning, or at least, you know, early for me, to, <laughs> to get over there to the game. Um, that's uh, that's just not cool. It should always be in the primetime um, slot at 8 o'clock on ESPN. But, you know, to, to go back to North Texas, um, you know, really it starts with Mason Fine. He, you know, the, the air raid system really predicates on the play of the quarterback. If, it, if the QB is successful, then the offense is going to be successful. And last year, Mason Fine was, um, had a huge learning curve coming in as a true freshman um, at a Locust Grove in Oklahoma, and now he really took the huge step, you know, that and the, the combined with the play of Jeffrey Wilson, who will unfortunately, you know, not be available in the game, the, the offense just went to a whole new level. Um, nothing that anyone at Conference USA could have foreseen, and then they come out of nowhere and win the West, and this is a huge opportunity for them. Um, their first 10-1 season and I believe, about 50 years, so a lot's on the line for this game for, for the Mean Green. Yeah, when you talk about North Texas, the thing that really caught my eye when I when I was looking at the team is they've got a ton of sophomores that are really playing at a high level. You look at Fine at quarterback, Jalen Guyton, who's going to be a future star NFL prospect at receiver. I believe Michael Lawrence and Rico Bussey, their second leading receivers, are sophomores as well. So on that offensive side of the ball, they've got a lot of firepower, and they've got two freshman running backs in Nick Smith and Evan Johnson. It looked like they should be able to step up and uh, fill the hole that's going to be left by Jeffrey Wilson next season. Yeah, and, you know, Nick Smith, he, he's not that bad. Um, he's a true freshman. You know, he's uh, – I believe he's a true freshman, averaging five yards per carry. He has a lot of speed to him. Um, he's just, you know, a really small, slight back. But he doesn't have the huge um, – you know, he's not just the playmaker that Wilson is. You know, it's going to be – Really important for North Texas in this game to kind of establish the run against FAU. They couldn't do that, and they got demolished. Um, you know, during the Rice game, it kind of took them a while for the for the run um, to to finally um, you know be smooth for Nick Smith to hit the hose and for the offense to kind of go to the next level. So it'll be interesting to see against Troy's defense, which is you know what in my opinion next to UCF one of the best defenses in the Group of Five. You know. Um, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how North Texas closed the season. Yeah, I, w- I want to get into Troy's defense here in a here in a bit, but first, let's talk about that North Texas FAU matchups. Why do you think those two games got as ugly as they did? I mean, it just looked like North Texas um, was the second best team in that league all year. But was it just a bad matchup, or what really happened in those two uh, games to really make them bloodbaths? Um, you know, really what happened was FAU just had a lot more speed than North Texas. Um, North Texas has been able to outflank a lot of teams in Conference USA with their athleticism on the edges, and they could not do that against um, FAU's uh, defense. That, that was pretty much the story of the game um, in both matchups. Mason Fine was under pressure a lot in the second game. In the first game, it was kind of poor turnover luck. I believe they committed about two or three turnovers within their first few possessions, and then FAU was just, they scored on 11 straight um, drives, essentially. That, you know, you're not going to win a lot of games doing that. Um, but they were just not as fast as FAU. That's really, you know, the biggest difference between the two teams this year. Um, North Texas certainly had the talent, but, 
you know, I guess we'll find out again against Troy. They couldn't really stop Devin Singletary either. They couldn't stop FAU's bread and butter on the ground. And if you've seen FAU this year, if you can't stop Devin Singletary, you're not going to stop the Owls' offense. They're kind of limited with um, with Driscoll at quarterback. But if Singletary gets going, they're damn near unstoppable. So that was really what happened with, with the North Texas game. It's going to be interesting to see whether um, Troy will kind of use the same tactics as far as trying to – crush North Texas on the ground with um, the running backs. Yeah, you mentioned Devin Singletary. And he, I mean, I, I don't know, towards the end of the season, I don't think any running back in college football was playing at a higher level than he was. It re- was really just a touchdown machine there in Boca this season. But you mentioned the real fun matchup of this game is going to be seeing this North Texas offense against this Troy defense. You mentioned the Troy defense. And the S&P finishing drives metric, which – it grades you points per possession whenever your opponent gets inside your 40-yard line. They are first in the country in that. In, in the Arkansas State game, they came up with stop after stop in the red zone. And really, that was the reason that they won that game as they were doubled up in total yardage. Um, they've only given up more than 24 points once, and that was to Arkansas State, who got a, a grand total of 25. So the defense has been outstanding. And one interesting little – Matchup with this is Latrell, who's North Texas's head coach. He was an offensive coordinator at North Carolina at the same time at when Troy's defensive coordinator, Vic Canning, was the defensive coordinator there. So both those two know each other really well, and it's going to be fun seeing how they match up on Saturday afternoon. That's very interesting, very interesting. Um, I didn't know that. I, I, the one thing that I'm kind of interested in as far as the matchups go is like you said, um, if Troy can limit North Texas for field goals, North Texas is definitely capable of making them. Um, with Trevor Moore, one of the best kickers in Conference USA, um, he's really consistent. He has a nice, solid leg, leg very accurate. Uh, what I'm, other than with you know when Troy has the ball, I'm really curious to find out whether North Texas run defense is going to be able to stop them because, I, in my opinion, I think that'll be the game. North Texas was very vulnerable against the run all season. They just didn't play a lot of great rushing attacks in Conference USA besides um, Southern Miss and um, FAU. UTSA was, you know, you know, decent, but they kind of held them for a little bit. But with, with FAU and Southern Miss, they kind of really, um, those two backs are re- super explosive. And I feel like Troy can take advantage of that. Should Troy, should they feature the run, rushing attack, I think they can win the game. If, for whatever reason, Jordan Chun or Josh Anderson – Jordan Chun, he's available for the game? Yes, he's going to play, but he really hasn't been the same since he had that leg laceration injury suffered against South Alabama. Yeah. So, I mean, he's played in the last four games, but in the last three he hasn't ran for more than 80 yards. And they're really – they're not using him at all. The most carries he's had since that South Alabama game has been 18 so uh, they're being real careful with him. I'm, I, it just doesn't look like he's near 100% right now. If that's the case, then North Texas, their defense could really, um, I guess, kind of get a lot of stops. Their linebacker, um, I forgot his name. What is his name? Um, EJ, EJ, Elijah. Yes, yes. I can't, I can't pronounce his last yeah, name. Yeah, something he's like that. Guy, I believe. Yeah. Um, very, very um, great, great running back as far as speed. He's not the biggest guy, but he definitely has a lot of pursuit and knows for the ball. If he can go in there and make a lot of noise as far as um, limiting the rushing attack, the North Texas, they have this, they have this, in the secondary, they kind of underachieved this season, but there's a lot of talent back there where they can kind of do their job and kind of hold um, Silver's, uh, you know, from a 
to his lower than his average. Yeah, and this Troy offense, really coming into the season, I thought it was going to be one of the better offenses in the G5. They returned all of their receiving production from last year. Brandon Silvers was a fourth-year starter. Jordan Shun had a chance to become the program's all-time leading rusher. So on paper, they had a lot of pieces, but this is a group that struggled for the first part of the season. And now they've gotten to Sunbelt play and really turned it on as they scored at least 30 points in five of their last six games and at least 32 in their last three games. So they're they're starting to hit their stride here at the end of the season. And they're going to go up against the North Texas defense that I think they can really have some success on. The North Texas defense, really outside of that linebacker that we just spoke of, there's really nobody that to me that really jumps out at you. And then DeAndre Douglas has really emerged as a big play receiver for the Trojans. Um, he's a junior. He'll be back next year. He's going to be a name to keep an, uh, an eye out for. So who are you um, going with? It sounds like you're going to go with the Trojans in this one. For me in this one, I think Jeffrey Wilson being out, we really haven't mentioned that. I think that's a huge blow to North Texas. I think that really kind of eliminates their balance. And then I think they're really going to have some success moving the ball through the air against Troy. But one thing Troy doesn't do, they don't give up big plays. And then when they get you in the red zone and they get stops. Now the thing North Texas does have is a consistent kicker, but I think Troy can do just enough on offense. And I and I think the big thing to keep an eye on in this game is turnovers. North Texas enters with a negative eight ratio and Troy is plus four. I think Troy finds a way to do just enough, get, gets a few turnovers, and wins a close one. Yeah, I agree with that prediction. Um, I think, you know, Mason Fine, he's been incredible this season. But without, um, you know, the guy to fall back on in Wilson, I don't, I can't see him really carrying the team to a victory here. It'll be really, really interesting to see Troy's secondary matched up against North Texas' wide receivers. Turner Smiley is a guy to look out for. Very, very, um, very fast uh, receiver. Then, of course, you have Jalen Guyton, who's, like you said before, he's definitely going to be playing on Sundays in a few years. And Rico Bussey is kind of Mason's fine, um, Mason Fine's favorite target. So that's going to be a, another um, key matchup to watch for as far as Troy's secondary versus North Texas secondary. But I kind of agree with you. I like Troy in a close one. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting game. It should be one of the better bowl games of the season. Like the New Orleans Bowl always is, it always provides a lot of great excitement. Um, I just wish it's at nighttime, like I said before. But I'm going to go with the Trojans in this one and making um, the Sun Belt one and zero against Conference USA. Speaking of the New Orleans Bowl, if you're just rating G5 bowls, so just G5 on G5, I was having a hard time maybe finding another bowl than this. Now, usually it's at night, and it kind of sucks that this one's going to be at noon local time there in New Orleans, but. Usually it's a night game. It's got a pretty good atmosphere. So I just – do you have, a, I guess, a bowl game that's your favorite for the G5s or is the New Orleans Bowl, you think, the top? No, the New Orleans Bowl is definitely the top just because, um, you know, it's the first of the day um, usually – or not first of the day. It's like the nightcap for all the great football that we watched on Saturday. It just – you know, there's something about playing football in New Orleans. It's a huge stage for both group of five programs. And to be honest, you know, really, really solid teams at that. You know, it's usually the Sun Belt champion and then a representative from Conference USA that uh, won Conference USA West or won Conference USA in general. So it's usually a great game. Uh, bowl games should always aim for regional matchups, and that's what we get, again, with Troy and North Texas. Um, I know a few years ago we got Louisiana Tech and Arkansas State, which was a great game. Southern Miss and um, Louisiana last year was a really good game. So, you know, th this is definitely, in my opinion, one of my favorite Group of Five matchups. Um, 
if not the best one. I, I'm trying to think of any more. Um, I know the Camellia Bowl is usually solid. Um, I believe a few years it was Mac and Sunbelt, and they've gotten some mm-hmm. pretty um, very uh, fantastic finishes as far as close games. But I would have to say that this is uh, my favorite one. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. And I think we've pretty much wrapped that up. And then our second Sunbelt CUSA matchup is going to happen in Orlando, the Cure Bowl. This is the first bowl game of three that will be played at Camping World Stadium. I'm not sure how you all down there in Orlando got that gig, but there's three games during the bowl season in that stadium. WKU, uh, disappointing first season for Mike Sanford at 6-6. Six and six. Um, Taking on an upstart Georgia State, Sean Elliott. Georgia State really kind of had a weird season. Um, of course, they renovated Turner Field, made it Georgia State Stadium. So I had a lot of buzz surrounding that. But they went 1-4 and four at home. But then turned around and went five and one on the road, and their only loss was to Penn State. So really, kind of a weird season. But get Sean Elliott getting this team to a bowl game is just a win in itself, and one of the better coaching jobs in the entire group of five this year. Yeah, um, you know, like I said before earlier in the pod, I was really impressed with Sean Elliott's job. I didn't think that hire really was going to really resonate within the Atlanta community. I didn't think I thought they could have done better, to be quite honest with you, but. You know, the fact that he's able to get Georgia State into a bowl game, it's a huge accomplishment. He took the pieces that he got with him with Penny Hart and um, Connor Manning. And, and um, you know, they, they've been able to put points on the board, which is exactly what they should have done under the, the, the predecessor. And I believe his, his name was Miles, I believe. Um, yeah, Trey Miles. Yes, there we go. So, you know, the, the program is definitely appears to be trending up, and they're definitely recruiting well. The one thing that, you know, with this matchup, I'm curious to see what um, Western Kentucky's motivation is going to be. You know, typically they've gotten one of the better high-profile matchups as far as group of five games. Last year they were in the Boca Bowl against Memphis. year before that, I believe they were in the Miami Beach Bowl against um, USF. You know, another great matchup. Now they got to get one of the first bowl games coming off of a disappointing 6-6 six and six season in which they were picked to win Conference USA. They got destroyed by FAU the last game. You know, it's um, it's going to be an interesting referendum on Mike Sanford's first year. You know, he the coaching this year I ha- I wasn't necessarily impressed with. I thought that the tops would backslide, but I wasn't expecting six and six. I was thinking more eight and four. Um, this was an extremely disappointing season, and I think capping it off with a, a loss to a Sun Belt team would um really raise some red flags going forward. Although he has been recruiting pretty well, but um, the talent on the roster is much better than six wins this year for the tops. First time being a head coach, I think you can expect some of that. But definitely on paper, Western had a team that was really an eight or nine win team. I thought they lost some games like that Illinois game early in the season that were just really just head scratchers, and it, it, that was really kind of a microcosm of the season. That starting with that Illinois debacle, and then their running game never really got going. But you look at Western, uh, I believe they've had they're looking for their seventh straight winning season and yes. for a young program young fbs program that's a big deal they're you know they're building tradition they're putting they're building layers so they want to keep that going if that's going to be a big blow to them if they can't get this win but i i mentioned in the preview article the wku georgia state preview which is up on the site make sure you check it out at underdogdynasty.com in my prediction for it i said whoever wants to win whoever wants to win or whoever wants this the most is going to win the game. Um, Georgia State's obviously should be pretty excited going to a bowl game, uh, just going to a bowl game period after a 
their year last season. Meanwhile, WKU, we really don't know what to expect from them. I think on paper, it's a good matchup for the tops because Georgia State State's offense is pretty anemic outside of wide receiver Penny Hart. But when you look at – and I like WKU's defense, but when you look at both these running games, these are probably the two worst rushing offenses in the entire FBS. You know, I didn't think it was possible for any you know rushing tech to be worse than WKU's, but if Georgia State's really that bad, then ooh, that's, that's bad. Western Kentucky's running backs um, not very good, which is – you know, surprising. Um, DeAndre Furby, he was um, a really a, a great running back a few years ago coming off of injury, and he has not looked great at all this season. Um, Quentin Baker, um, he kind of bursted on the scene a little bit last year as a freshman, and this year as a sophomore, just didn't look great. Um, they've used a bunch of running backs just to try to figure out anything. And then you have Mike White, pocket passer, a statue really, in the as great a passer as he is, a statue in the pocket. And he, had, he leads the team with six rushing touchdowns. You know, that... Not a great sign. The offensive line just really, really regressed without um, stalwart Forrest Lamb from last year who's now playing with the Chargers. So, and it's going to be interesting to see. You know, we, we know how bad both teams are running the ball, but you know, if, the, if being the showcases on both of these senior quarterbacks who both have potential to make some noise in the NFL next year when draft day comes around. We'll see wh- whoever plays the best at quarterback is going to win the game. That's the way how I see it. Mike White's a statue. I don't know, really know what Connor Manning is because he <laughs> is the epitome of catch the snap, stay there, throw the ball. But the senior transfer from Utah has really had a pretty good season. 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Really no ground game to really uh, even mention, but he's completing over 60% of his passes. Now, most of those targets are going through Penny Hart. The sophomore receiver is a superstar. Um, it's really going to be one of the premier receivers in college football next season. So he's going to be a fun name to keep an eye out for, and don't be surprised if he has a really big game. The line says um, minus six, and I feel like that's a bit um, – I don't know. I feel like that – I thought I was expecting a bit lower. Um, I thought this is kind of like a pick and matchup, but I guess given Georgia, Georgia State's inconsistencies and you know the name brand that – I guess Western Kentucky is, it's funny saying that name brand, but – you know, WKU has built up a, um, a modicum of consistency with their program. I figured Georgia State would be, um, you know, get a bit more respect from Vegas, but I think the Tops are going to win this game. I think Conference USA is going to get um, get on the board here due to um, Western Kentucky. Now, I think just like the New Orleans Bowl, which is going to take place before, this game starts at, what, 3.30? On this CBS? one's 2.30, yeah. It's really set up where you can, you're going to be able to watch the fourth quarter's end in each game because they've kind of spread them out in some intervals which which will be nice okay so um yeah with with western kentucky i I feel like they're gonna win the game but i'm expecting another good game um i could see them running away with this to be honest with you the mike what mike white has been that fantastic this season their defense has been good enough but the inconsistency with the rushing attack has just always come back to bit them so if the game is close and they need to rely on running the clock out or they need to rely on a string of first downs, it could be getting it could be dicey for the Hilltoppers. But I think they're going to win this game. What about you? Yeah, when it comes down to it, Western's a better team. And when you look at the two teams just on paper, I think the tops are probably 10 points better. But motivation is going to be key here. We don't really know what we're going to expect from WKU. But the biggest reason I give them the edge is the versatility in their receiver group. They've got four receivers that have recorded over 400 yards, while Georgia State only has the one. 
And both defenses, I think, have been pretty good this year, and they should be able to stop these horrible ground attacks. So really it's going to come, come down to what quarterback can play at a higher level. And with with that, I'm giving Mike White the edge over Connor Manning. Nice, nice, nice. So that's one and one, yeah. Adam, one. So now we'll move on to the rubber match as Middle Tennessee finally gets to stay close to the home come bowl season instead of the Bahamas Bowl or I believe it was the Hawaii Bowl last year. And they'll be playing an Arkansas State team um, that really had a good season. Um, even if a 7-4 and four record doesn't look that way. It's in the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. Again, another old Sun Belt matchup. Uh, the Blue Raiders lead this series overall 9-5. to five. But the question I have for you, Cyrus, is when is Rick Stock still going to be put on the hot seat? <laughs> um, never, it appears. <laughs> he has one of the, the best group of five contracts in the country. Every year, his contract, I believe, rolls over when he comes in with the winning record or if he takes his team to a bowl game, which he's done just now. He has one of the highest buyouts in the group of five, which is about I, I want to say it's $850,000. Um, I, I know it's pretty high. I think it's 850000 That's incredible considering he hasn't really done – he has only won one conference title, you know, and it was back in the Sun Belt days. I want to say it was 2007 or 2008. I don't think he's – I think he's going to be there for a while, at least until his son graduates, um, which Rick Stock – with Brent Stock still, he's a junior now. I believe – yeah, he's a junior now, so he'll be a senior next year. But man, man, like I don't understand. I don't understand Middle Tennessee's thought process as far as um, you know giving stock still that type of leverage to just set shop in Murfreesboro and just you know kind of just be mediocre. You know, um, they had high expectations again this year. Finished. They were predicted to finish second in Conference USA after the previous year before and last year they were picked to finish first and they didn't meet expectations again. Um, a lot of injuries kind of derailed the team this year, just like last year with their captain, Brent Stockstill, missing some time again. And then you have, you know, dynamite receiver, um, Sarasota, Florida native, actually, and uh, Richie James not missing a lot of time. He won't be in, playing in this game yet again, but they've just been very mediocre, you know. And now that um, FAU and FIU have seemed to get back, get their act together, their window looks to be closed as far as winning that elusive conference title. Yeah, I actually said in the preseason, I said if Middle Tennessee can't win the CUSA this year, I'm not sure they're ever going to win it. And, of course, that went out the window right away when Stock still got hurt early in the season. But it seems to me this year they really wasted a good defense. The problem in the last couple years has been on that side of the ball. Um, New defensive coordinator Scott Schaefer, I think, has done a really good job with that group. Uh, But it really didn't matter as they struggled to uh, 6-6 and season this, this year. But they're, they're expected to have a decent crowd. As I believe, Stock still bought a bunch of tickets for Middle Tennessee fans or students. Yeah. That's one thing with, with Stock still, you know, that you have to give him credit for it being his time. He, he's done a great job um, within the community of Murfreesboro. He's definitely, um, you know, he's always had it out for the best interest for the student athletes as well as just the, the, the residents of Murfreesboro and the students that attend this school. So um, he's bought up a bunch of those tickets. I know – more than a few Middle Tennessee fans are going to be down there in Montgomery for the game. So it should be a, a pretty live atmosphere. Yeah, and you look, since Stock still has come back, they've won, I believe, three of their last four, have scored at least 30 points in each of those contests. So this is just a different lineup or a different offense when that Southpaw is behind center. And the only game they lost was 
possibly one of the best G5 games of the season when uh, that shootout in the fourth quarter happened with them and WKU on a Friday night in November. But their offense is going to have to be ready to go in this one because this Arkansas State group can light up the scoreboard. They enter this one averaging 30 and 8 and a half points per game. Justice Hansen was your Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, It's throwing for 330 yards per game, 34 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, completing nearly 64% of his passes and averaging right around 8.5 yards per attempt. And when you look at their receiving group, it's really balanced. They may have the best tight end in the group of five in Blake Mack, and they've got a lot of big, tall receivers that that can really go up and make plays vertically down the field. With Arkansas State, I think the the thing that's really impressed me is just, you know, I saw them last year against UCF, and I know it's, you know, a completely different roster or whatever, but last year's Cure Bowl, I was just impressed with how fast that defense was. Um, you know, with UCF and Florida speed, you think, oh, this is, you know, AAC, UCF is going to, you know, kind of um, dominate Arkansas State. And that just did not look like – that just was not the case. Um, Jones just dominated pretty much. The defense just dominated. They overwhelmed UCF. And knowing, you know, what UCF is now and kind of – it speaks to volumes just how great Arkansas State's defensive unit was this year. And, you know, Jones is the same – Force. And, you know, from watching Middle Tennessee play this year, that's one thing that I'm kind of concerned about with this matchup. If you can get to Stocksville, that's pretty much the ball game. He's the head of uh, Middle Tennessee's stink, so to, be, so to speak, if you mm-hmm. want to go with that analogy. Um, if you shut down Stocksville, that's the game. And their offensive line, I really wasn't extremely impressed with this year with Middle Tennessee. I know that their, um, their sack downs rate was pretty solid. Um, I think it was like 53rd or 69th or, or something like that. It was kind of middle of the pack, but it was decent considering stock still wasn't out. But that's one thing that you know I'm, I'm really looking forward to in this game. If stock still can stay upright, he can make it close. But if Arkansas State can get to him and put pressure on him, then I think Arkansas State should run, run away with this one. Yeah, you mentioned Javon Roland Jones, back-to-back Sunbelt Player of the Year. He needs one sack to break the NCAA record of Terrell Suggs, which he – probably should get um, on Saturday, uh, but he's really a one-trick pony. Uh, if he's not making plays sack-wise, you, he can kind of disappear out there. Um, and that's – this Arkansas State defense, they do have a lot of speed. Uh, they play a lot of defensive backs. Um, they take they take their fair share of risks. So opportunity for big plays will be there for Stock still. But like you just said, their offensive line can't sure up that pass pro. It could be a long night for Stock still in this Blue Raiders offense. You know, what Tony Franklin has done, which we all know what a Tony Franklin offense is, um, besides his days at Auburn, um, that one that horrible year, but, uh, you know, they utilize a bunch of quick screens, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of bunch of quick screens out in the perimeter with um, Ty Lee, which is, you know, a, a great, great athlete at receiver, very fast, similar to Richie James, um, really, but they utilize a lot of screens, and if Arkansas State can't tackle in space, then they're going to be in trouble. But should they, you know, I'm looking at their havoc rate, and it says that they're 11, so they do a pretty decent job of, um, or not even 11, uh, 34th is from what I'm seeing from their defensive back havoc rate, which is tip passes, um, sacks, and all that. As long as they can tackle in space, then they should be more than fine. Um, I think that we'll see probably a lot of screens from Middle Tennessee to kind of negate Jones to keep him off his um, heels a bit. But I think, yeah, like, like I said before, I think State should win this pretty comfortably. Yeah, I like I like Arkansas State as well. Just I think Middle Tennessee will be able to move the ball and score some points, but 
think the real surprise in here for a lot of people watching, not familiar with Arkansas State, is just how potent this offense is. Um, when Hanson isn't turning the ball over, which he's done by throwing 15 interceptions, they're almost unstoppable for as far as G5 offenses go. You know, the the one thing that I will say this, you know, I know that I picked Arkansas State, but if Middle Tennessee somehow wins this, man, it's going to be hard for any Sun Belt folks to say over the offseason as the Sun Belt was up there with Conference USA because I do not think Middle Tennessee is a good team at all. And I think uh, I'm really thinking highly of Arkansas State. So Red Wolves should dominate. They should win this by at least 10 points. League-wise for the Sun Belt, I think you could make the argument that this is the biggest game on Saturday. It'd be nice if they could kind of get a statement win and kind of blow out a CUSA team. Um, and I think Arkansas State could potentially be in position to do that, but I would expect a somewhat close game there in Montgomery. But uh, we'll move on. And a game I'm really excited about was one of the best games of all the bowl season last year. These two teams met in the Camellia Bowl and really went down to the last possession in the fourth quarter. But we're finally off of the first Saturday, so this game's going to be on December 23rd, 7 o'clock. ESPN Dollar General Bowl down in Mobile. Um, the MAC champs take on the Coast Sun Belt champs. It's Toledo and Appalachian State are going to hook horns. Two really, really good G5 programs going at it here, Cyrus, with two really, really good quarterbacks. And two really good coaches, too. Um, I like Satterfield. I know the App State fan base has been kind of underwhelmed with him this year. But um, on this on the other sideline, Candle, he was a really young head coach a few years ago. One of the youngest head coaches, I believe, in FBS. And he's done a really great job of picking up where Campbell left off down at, from um, now that he's at uh, Iowa State and keeping the Rockets steady. Winning the, um, you know, Toledo's one of the, we kind of forget about the MAC, you know, down here in the South, but Toledo's one of the, you know, the, the more recognizable brands in the group of five. And, you know, with Kareem Hunt gone, and you thought that they would take a step back, and, you know, they really well oiled machines. Harry Swanson has been great this year, over a thousand rushing yards, got 14 touchdowns, and they kind of still do the um, whole dual running back thing that they had. I can't remember the guy's last name. So uh, it, it should be a great game. You know, like you said, the, the this was a rematch from last year. So the players and coaching staffs are pretty familiar with each other. I'm expecting to see a lot of points. Logan Woodside, a senior, he's just been awesome this season, completing 65% of his passes, averaging nearly 10 yards per attempt. And he's done all of this, like you mentioned, Kareem Hunt's in the NFL, and then his top receiver, Cody Thompson, was knocked out of the lineup early in the season. But he's still putting up huge numbers, and that's a really credit to him and what kind of offensive coach Jason Candle really is. And then you look at Taylor Lamb. This ad state offensive rushing attack really struggled to start the season, but Lamb just kept them steady. Having probably the best season of his career, 27 touchdowns, only six interceptions, completing over 60% of his passes and over eight yards per attempt. Um, I think App State is really, really going to miss him uh, when he's gone next season because I feel like he's been in Boone, North Carolina. Um, I, th- I think he was a starting quarterback when they went and beat Michigan. <laughs> he has been there for a minute. He has been there for a while. I think you're going to – I like – hopefully – we get into kind of a little shootout there, and we let the court, those quarterbacks really show their stuff and throw the ball around the yard. But both of these defense, both Toledo and Appalachian State, um, both have some pretty good defenses. So I, I would just expect a really good college football game in this one. But 
in their rematch, I give Toledo uh, a bit of the edge. I think they're one of the better overall group of five teams this season, and I think they're going to cap it off with a 12-win season here in 2017. Yeah, I agree with you yet again. Um, I think Toledo, um, a lot of people are sleeping on Toledo um, entering this game. I believe the point spread, I don't, I don't think it was that high. I'm, you know, from being in the slide channel, I'm, I'm always talking about point spreads. I'm always trying to find a way to make extra money. I believe it was about like seven and a half or something like that. Yeah, but, that sounds right. Yeah, but um, Toledo, they gave Miami a run for their money earlier in the year. And although they didn't, they ended up losing by about like 20 points. You know, Toledo's a really, really solid team, a really sound fundamental team. And they're very explosive on offense. Um, you know, App State really has underwhelmed and disappointed this season. Being that the game is in Mobile, if App State can get a huge crowd there, like they're, you know, they're usually, they usually have, they're becoming one of the, Really, really um, better-known fan bases for traveling for these bowl games. They did well last year, and I believe they did well the year before. Um, if the if the, the crowd is more leaning towards App State, then I can see the Mountaineers behind that home crowd, you know, um, playing a, a tough game. If not, then I can see Toledo running away with this. But I think it's, Toledo's going to win. I think it's just going to be, like you said, a solid, solid, solid game. But I think the Rockets are going to come out and get the W. Yeah, it should be a fun game there down in Mobile, but we'll move on to the final bowl game. Believe it or not, Cyrus, the New Mexico State Aggies have finally made it back to the postseason. On Friday, December 29th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, they'll be heading to Tucson to take on the Utah State Aggies in the tradition-rich Arizona Bowl. Uh, That's funny. Uh, Putting tradition... Using that term very, very loosely. <laughs> what more can we say about Doug Martin? You know, in the in the swan season for New Mexico State, for the for you know in their last year in, in the Sun Belt, they'll be going the independent route next season. Um, it was kind of now or never. You know, being that the team is very senior laden with experience across the board, with um, not Chase Holbrook. Oh my goodness, what's the guy's name at quarterback again? Tyler Rogers. There we go, Tyler Rogers. I almost said Chase Holbrook. Tyler Rogers, and then you have. Doug Martin, who's been there for a while, you know, it's a great story. It's one of the better stories um, in college football this season. And the fact that they were able to get a bowl game that's very close um, to them speaks volumes as far as that they've already sold out their ticket a lot. So there's a lot of excitement for the game. And it's the Aggie Bowl. It's Aggies on Aggies. Um, Utah State Mm -hmm. with another regional opponent, which is what I really like to see when these bowl games come across. That regional opponent versus regional opponent. So it should be very interesting. Um, both teams are going to be really, really excited for this game. So I don't think that uh, despite the, the tradition, like you said, of uh, the lack of tradition with this bowl game, that both programs are going to be very excited for it. Yeah, one thing I want to say about Doug Martin is his record is ugly. Overall, he's 45-97 and 97 as a head coach. He's 16-44 and 44 at New Mexico State. But he's had two jobs – and you can make the argument that both that each job is the hardest in the FBS. You see what Kent State's doing now. They can't find a coach. Their search has been going on for a month. He won at least five games four times in eight years at Kent State. And now they never made a bowl game, but, I mean, that's re- at least respectable. They went at least 500 in the conference four times under him. So then he goes to New Mexico State. The first four years were rough as he – Kind of had to, you know, he took over a mess and kind of had to rebuild it slowly. But he got his quarterback in there, and uh, now they took off. And really, 
they they were six and six, but they could could have easily went eight and four, possibly a nine and three. I thought they were their offense was good all season. They got a little banged up in the middle of the year, but that that scene um, in their last game when they beat South Alabama to clinch bowl eligibility was one of the coolest things in, of the twenty seventeen college football season. I completely agree. Right up there with UAB coming back and doing what they've been doing in Conference USA. I think. It, you know, it's definitely, in my opinion, those are, have been the best stories in all of college football, not just the group of five. The fact that New Mexico State is going bowling and then that after UAB, what happened to them, um, for them in their return season to go bowling. With, with And it, just looking at the game for us, the matchup, when it comes to bowl games like this with two teams very excited, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the, pro, the, the rosters handle the emotions. You know, the players handle their emotions. They're going to be very geeked up and excited for the game. I think... I'm leaning towards New Mexico State. I'm definitely rooting for them to win. Um, I don't really know much about Utah State, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I think Larry Rose should have his way. He's a very, very speedster. He's been a difference maker, and I'm glad to see that he's been rewarded. I believe he's a Texas kid, right? Um, he's out of yeah, Texas. he is. Yeah, yeah, to go to New Mexico and then kind of thrive there and put New Mexico State really on the map this season. So it'll be interesting to see. Is Rogers playing or is he done for the season? No, they, Rogers is he's good to go. He's good to go. Okay. And then, so, well, really, Utah State, they're really just kind of a ho hum team. I think their head coach Matt Wells is kind of on the hot seat there. So they went three nine last season, but they got back to six and six this year. But it wasn't a very impressive six and six. And their last game, they got um, they lost a bad Air Force team. On the road to go to, to fall at six and six, so I don't I don't really I don't really know what to expect from their from their team to be honest. And in a game like this, you you're right about those emotions. You just because New Mexico State is going to be so freaking jacked up for this game. Um, it's just what happens if they get down early or if a few things a few bad things happen. Do they keep their cool? But they have a lot of seniors on this team, and I think that's going to help them. Um, just to stay calm and uh, play cool, and I, I think they're, they, I think they're gonna get the win here. I really do in the Arizona Bowl. Same, same. I think I feel like um, you know, just with the home foot advantage. I don't know how many tickets the, the Aggies of Utah State have sold, but I've seen that New Mexico State have sold their entire ticket allotment. So, and they're at getting more tickets at that. So, with with the home crowd going in their favor, I'm gonna lean towards them. Um, S&P Plus actually favors the Utah State Aggies, gives them a 55% win probability, but they see this game being an L-biter. They, they see it as a 30-28 to 28 type of game, a two-point um, difference. So it, it should be one of the better bowl games this season. It's at, um, I, I think it's on CBS Sports Network, right? Yeah, it's a Friday, December 29th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. It'll be on CBS Sports Network. We've got Troy over Texas, or excuse me, North Texas. We've got WKU over Georgia State. Got Arkansas State over Middle Tennessee, so the Sun Belt. Will, uh, I'm sure we'll hear about that that media day if they do win that. That they'll have two wins over the CUSA, and then we have App State losing to Toledo, but then we have New Mexico State beating Utah State, and that would mean a three and two bowl performance from the Fun Belt, and I think that'd be a really positive thing going into the off season for this conference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, when it comes to the Sun Belt Conference USA or you know any type of Group of Five conference. Besides the AAC, you know, that's kind of where the bar is right now. Each conference has program, have programs that are capable of, um, you know, getting that New Year's Six bid, but it all starts with building momentum going into the next season. Um, the bowl practices are huge. 
obviously the marketing opportunity for the university itself is huge, being on the national stage, getting that platform. So it, you know, it's, it's just the, it's great to see like every time, every year when this comes around, the less heralded teams get in the spotlight and get on ESPN or CBS or ABC or what have you and kind of grab the nation's attention just for a moment. But just like you said, going into next year, a lot of eyes are going to be on App State and Troy with Neil Brown, you know, with the momentum now that um, his first class is cycling out. So it should be fun to see. Fun to see. I'm really looking forward to the games this weekend, though. Troy, North Texas should be awesome. Yes, it's going to be a really fun bowl season. And uh, make sure you're following along. We'll have all kinds of articles up this site. Our, our Twitter handle will be very active during this game. So feel feel free to reach out to us, whether on Twitter, Facebook, or a comment section on the site. Uh, we really appreciate it. Cyrus, is there anything you'd like to plug? I know you in this same podcast feed you're in, we just had a, a really good podcast with Cyrus, Jared, and SB Nation's head recruiting honcho Bud Elliott. They talk a lot of G5 topics for this um, early signing day. Um, it's really a really good listen. I would, I would really advise you to check out. Is there any real big things you learned from that, Cyrus, or really just anything else you'd like to plug? Um, you know, just from that podcast, like you were saying, I, I highly recommend anyone who loves Group of Five football um, and with the National Signing Day starting much earlier than expected, beginning next week on Wednesday. Um, but puts a lot of shine on Georgia State, their recruiting efforts. So if you want to hear him go deeper into what Trickett's been going on doing on the recruiting trail in Florida, I would suggest to check that out. But other than that, um, if anyone, you know, me and Adam, we kind of picked every game correctly, so I'm kind of worried about the our picks in the um, bowl mania this year. But um, if you want to compete against us in terms of picking the bowl games this year, please check out our website. You can find our Capital One Bowl Mania um, group. I believe it's Underdog Dynasty. Passwords under our guys. See, but all the information is going to be on the website, so I would highly suggest to check that out and kind of have fun with us and pick against us. Um, I know we kind of, you guys, um, I guess the listeners, so to speak, <laughs> have a lot of differing opinions when it comes to our predictions and articles and whatnot. So here's your point to, um, you know, prove that you know a lot more <laughs> about group of five football and college football than um, the people who contribute on the site. So that's really about it, you know. Yes, put it on the line. Put your predictions on the line, any of you social media bullies. But, um, Cyrus, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, thanks for doing this, my man, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Yes, yes, much sooner than uh, the first time when it, you know, a few months ago. It'll be definitely, I expect, um, be on the pod with you during the off season, man. Yes, and uh, for all those who are listening, if you could, uh, just drop in the Apple Podcast, maybe leave us a review. Uh, give us some feedback, positive or negative. We really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later.